insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Redefining Security podcast. Have you ever thought that we are selling cybersecurity insincerely, buying it indiscriminately, and deploying it ineffectively? Perhaps we are. So let's look at how we can organize a successful InfoSec program that integrates people, process, technology, and culture to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. EdgeScan offers continuous vulnerability intelligence as a service, accurately identifying vulnerabilities and exposures across the full stack. All threats are verified by cybersecurity experts, providing exploitable risk and remediation guidance, virtually false positive free. Learn more at edgescan.com. Key Resources has the software and services to help you manage mainframe vulnerabilities. Our mission is to guarantee a return on our clients' security investments by minimizing their exposure to data and security risks. Learn more at krisecurity.com. Sean, here we go. Here we are. We're, uh, we're, we're sitting in front of the camera again. Yep, we uh, are. And we're, we're both using phone cameras to uh, project ourselves in, the, in these, uh, these uh, sessions that we're recording. I uh, wonder if you're how you the got podcast, that. You're not seeing this here. No, but, but I wonder uh, how you got that, right? Well, that, this phone is just one thing from a manufacturer, right? There are no parts. It just shows up as one unit. Right around your house. Right around Around the corner. Exactly. (laughs) Somebody dug it up from their garden and uh, here it was. Yep. No, the story is that we don't even think about the stuff that we get and how the economy is all connected. The the globe is not what it used to be. We are really interdependent one with another. And with that comes a lot of stuff and a lot of risk. A lot of stuff, a lot of risk. We, We want our phones. We want all the cameras and audio and everything that comes with it the ability to surf the web and that only happens with all the pieces parts that come with it and of course it has to arrive here too right from wherever it's built that's all supply chain and uh if we're going to continue as a society as humanity that supply chain needs to uh needs to work um so we're going to figure out what that future looks like in a in a chat with our good friend andrea lombago Thanks for joining us, Andrea. No, thanks for having me here. And uh, this is, this is going to be fun, Marco. Yeah, so a lot, a lot of chat, 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 but let's get to the point. First of all, quick introduction about yourself for the people that don't know who you are. And uh, the, the last uh, presentation you've been doing is right there. Supply chain, geopolitical, tectonic movement, I heard, <laughs> something like that. And uh, And what is the theme of this conversation, resiliency, and that's important for all of that. So, word is to you. Yeah, no, thanks. Uh, Andrea Little-Lombago, I lead the research and analysis at Enteros, a supply chain risk company. And, 
you know, background from academia, Department of Defense, and other cybersecurity startups. And so all of that leads to, you know, we have continued focus on just the impact of the geopolitic and the geopolitical movements that are going on right now, how it's impacting the supply chain. Like you, you mentioned the interdependencies. I mean, really over the last three to four decades, we've just seen the global economy become hyper-connected. And so all those parts in your phone, you know, knowing we're all that, like down to the components, everything is just hyper-specialized and we don't think about it, right? Uh, and so there are plenty of opportunities. We've seen just some great advances in innovation, but some risks go along with it as well. And so, you know, my focus now and really for the last you know, few years and going forward, because it's, you know, is looking at how these geopolitical shifts are going to be impacting uh, our security awareness, our stature, uh, how it's impacting the various kind of tech stacks that we're all going to be seeing. I and mean, we're already seeing on the cybersecurity front, you know, where you are and what the internet looks like for you in one place looks different elsewhere because of various rules and regulations. And that same thing could be start happening as far as physical commodities as well, as far as what technologies go into uh, various kinds of infrastructure. So we're just really seeing a really significant shift going forward. And uh, I very much look at, you know, 2020 as an inflection point, both for the you know, devastation of, from the pandemic, but also the world that we're re-entering slowly is going to look very different from what we had in the past, both as far on the economic, like geoeconomic front, on the geopolitical front, and the way that cybersecurity standards and norms are starting to get shaped. So lot, lots of movement going on. <laughs> lots of movement. And, and it's easy to get caught up in the moment and, and just think that stuff continues to progress. But we've actually seen some areas where, and this isn't new, uh, where technologies are not allowed in certain places. We can't export things. We can't import things. Um, and some of that is to protect uh, intellectual property. Other is is to to gain a foothold or a, a bigger presence or perhaps a, a stronger position in certain technological areas. So what are you seeing in terms of the geopolitical movements and uh, of what's progressing, where are things being held back, where's the most competition, and how does that affect the, the supply chain? Yeah, and it's a great question. I think kind of gets over, you know, overlooked in a lot of other broader narratives, but what we're seeing is a significant return to industrial policy. So that's basically governments leveraging various kinds of economic strategies to limit or, or encourage various kinds of, you know, trade and investments. And so you can think about, I think, you know, Huawei is one that comes to mind, I think a lot uh, in the United States, but it's not just the United States that is banning Huawei or restricting Huawei from various kinds of relationships across Europe. It's happening across Australia, New Zealand, India. There's a lot of discussion along those lines. Uh, and then similarly, you know, China and some of the authoritarian regimes are also implementing their own uh, restrictions coming in. And so you see two different angles and, you know, I kind of at, at a very oversimplification, you'll see what the authoritarians are doing is largely focused on controlling the narrative. And that's how their restrictions are, are shaped. So being able to, you know, both controlling the narrative and controlling their own domestic champions, if you want to think about it that way. And so supporting their their technolo technological giants, uh, helping the, them spread, but also controlling the information and restricting various kinds of information going in. And you can think about you know, some of the restrictions on, say, LinkedIn, perhaps in, in, in Russia, where uh, certain countries are increasingly requiring source, source code to be turned over if you want to be located there, or requiring local data storage to, to actually operate there. And that's, again, for that, that overarching control um, of the data and the data coming, you know, flowing in and out of those countries. The opposite angle is more of what the democracies are doing. And again, these are you know, two extremes and most countries fall somewhere you know, along that spectrum, but are much more so focused on the various kinds of privacy uh, you know, and security aspect of it as far as protecting the data, protecting various kinds of, of privacy aspects like the GDPR, which does still impact various kinds of data flows going on in, in one way or another, 
uh, but it is you know, the intent underlying is to protect that data versus enabling government access to it. And that's where you see some of these big differences. But in the US alone over the last two years, so the Department of Commerce has a, something called the entity list that basically restricts various kinds of uh, supplier partnerships. And they've basically restricted over 350 different Chinese companies over the last two years. And so that, you know, that's really significant. You know, it's not just Huawei, it's not just CTE. That, you know, those are the ones we hear a lot about, I think, in the news. But over 350, and they range from everything from concerns over surveillance and access to data that way. They cover various kinds of human rights violations. Um, and they also have various kinds of military end user components to it as well, uh, even to the point of you know, companies that were associated with building up the islands in the South China Sea. So it's really a broad range of restrictions. And that's where the geopolitics comes into play, because it's really, you know, there isn't just a one reason why we're starting to see restrictions across supply chains. It, it covers a, a broad range of you know, ideological divides. So the picture is is so complex and complicated, right? So on one side, I we started this conversation like everything is connected, it's all global and, and so forth, but then there are also so many differences. It's nice to think like we're just one big planet and we all go along, but that's the truth is what you just said, is that's not real. So politics, laws, Technological differences, different level of uh, evolution in, in the technology space from one place to another. I think the key here it is resilience. Like, how does something keep happening? I don't know, the vaccine, for example, that's a good example right now, right? You know, where it's built, where it goes, why some people don't get it, why some people get it. And yet things keep moving. Right. So resilience, how how do we balance this act? Yeah, no, and, and you know, it's it's hard, right? And the one thing if I knew if, if we all had the answer to that, you know, we would <laughs> yeah, solve it. it and you know, we have like a, a great uh, you know, smoothly flowing global economy. Yeah. Um, right. but it is hard. And so you know, when thinking about you know how to build more resilient supply chains, you know, for me like the one of the biggest errors is thinking back to how it's been done in the past and trying to recreate that going forward because it's just it's got it's a different you know, the new normal is not the same as, as what it was before. And some of these trends were already there, you know, before you know the, the big you know, COVID disrupted so many aspects of our economic and you know social and health lives. Um, and you know, if you think about like in, specifically in cybersecurity, where we see the splintering of the internet going on, it's very similar along those same lines. We're seeing the supply chain splintering, uh, very similar to how the cyber sovereignty was trying to control over that area. Same thing is going on in industrial policy and economics. And so, creating resilience is really you know big focus on building trusted networks. And trustworthy networks, and so we're seeing a lot of really interesting developments going on. Um, you know, keeping you know an eye on the software bill of materials and providing traceability. Um, I think that's going to be something that we'll hear a lot about over the summer. Um, and that basically is you're know, requiring that traceability to what goes into the, the code making the software. And the same thing is going to happen on the hardware side, as far as being traceability, as far as what's going into the various components and where they're coming from. And so you know, transparency, traceability, all those are going to help build greater and more resilient systems. And it's going to take a lot of private sector, public sector uh, partnerships, which again is one of those things that you know, it's one of those buzzwords, but it can't be done alone. I mean, if you look at just the contributions of the private sector to the global economy, you know, it absolutely has to be something that you know, takes input from the private sector. And not only those kind of relationships, but also collaboration across the allies. And this is something that we are hearing you know, more and more because what happens is if it turns out that we have a, a patchwork of you know, rules and regulations that, you know, what's happening in Europe is different than Australia versus Japan and Korea and the US and then even in Africa, Latin America, it makes it very, very hard. And so, you know, we're starting to see 
discussions, at least at a very high level of countries starting to organize and try and collaborate in this area to create you know, much more so you know, streamlined and, and comprehensive uh, regulations and rules going forward to help build that security, help build more resilient supply chains. Because it absolutely, it's nothing that the U.S. can do alone. No single country can, can build a resilient supply chain alone. Like it's really going to take collaboration across like-minded nations, both for you know, strengthening the supply chains, but I mean, it has a huge impact on, on democracy. And that's you know, one of those things that you know, Sean was talking about, how we tend to progress. Well, democracy has been in decline for about 15 years now. And internet freedom has been on decline for about 10 years. And so all of these are very much interconnected with building a resilient supply chain and resilient secure and secure systems as well. And so it's going to take folks you know, from our community, absolutely, from the policy community, um, you know, NGOs, economics. Like it's, it's really one of those things. It really impacts so much. And you know, getting this right is, so, I would argue, is you know, really important for building resilience, both for our own security, but supply chains also impact so many different aspects of life. As far as you know, the labor conditions across your supply chain. The you know, are there, do you happen to have a supplier located in an area that's you know, very prone to hurricanes? Like, like all, like the, sort of the, the big issues of our time right now are all interconnected and intertwined within supply chains. Uh, so again, it's not the, perhaps the most sexy uh, of topics, but um, you know, it's oddly enough, over the last year, supply chains have made headlines, <laughs> either due to toilet paper absence or hair dye, or now that, or the chip manufacturing and not being able to make cars. Um, it's you know, it really covers all aspects of society. Yeah, and heavily uh, used uh, components in managing businesses being uh, compromised as well. We've seen that. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so I'm 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 sitting here putting myself in in the shoes of a of a business owner, and I'm thinking, well, what do I do? Do I just yeah. do I just put my head down and and focus on my business, or how, how do I even take a step in the right direction? Do I go out to the the world and and get involved at, at the global level to help define or do I if I'm in the US do I focus on US policy uh, or is there do I leverage is there an equivalent of an ISAC for supply chain for different industries or where, where do I go as a business leader to, to maybe start to understand what the future might hold for me with supply chain yeah and that's you know, a great question and I think some of those places are, are getting defined as you know as we speak literally um, but again, it's one of the, because it's one of the, at least to me, it's one of those, it seems almost you know, too monumental to address it all at once. It, it, almost a natural inclination is to just kind of put your head down and, and just keep doing what you're doing. So if we can just start chipping away at it and, and think you know, more strategically about it, there are you know, a couple of things to, that corporations can do initially is just you know, understanding their own supply chain. That, that, that's something that sounds so much easier than it actually is. Uh, a lot of companies know who their first suppliers are. And they may know who their second tier suppliers are, but they don't know their third, fourth, fifth, and so forth. And that's where a lot of this disruption that we've seen over the last year, a lot of that surprised companies because they didn't realize that they were connected to certain parts of the globe and say the fourth, fifth tier of their supply chains. And so uh, one would just be gaining that visibility across their supply chain. And that can be done through a variety of means, both you know, technology can help that, but also you know, just information sharing. And to your point of, you know, for ISACs and so forth, some of this information sharing is starting to happen actually through the ISACs. And so that's where I think it's really interesting where we're seeing supply chains starting to get adopted in, in corporate infrastructure that traditionally is meant for solely technology. They're starting to bring in the supply chain risk aspect as well into it. And so a lot of CISOs are now starting to be tasked with understanding their supply chain. Um, and so you know, it's as if they weren't already overtasked with, the, with their workload. <laughs> now, now they're giving, being given even more. Um, but gaining that visibility is one way to, to really do that. Share, you know, in sort of the the organizationally, 
you're talking to peers, helping figure out with your own suppliers, who that what you're making sure they know. And then you're know, thinking about the security standards. And one, one of the big aspects across supply chains as well is, you know, you may build up your best security possible around your own corporate network, but if your suppliers or your, even the third supplier, if they're not taking security seriously, that you know, that's basically the means of access into, into your company. And so really thinking about risk in, in cybersecurity risk across your extended supply chain is something that you know, I think is a little bit of a different of, of a mindset shift, um, which again, you know, it already was hard enough. And now we're, we're just adding a whole nother layer of complexity onto it. So I, I completely get it. That's why I see it's easier said than done. It's, it's, it's a really tough challenge. Yeah, yeah, definitely not the not not the answer I was looking for. But. <laughs> there isn't the easy button, not no, yet. Oh, I, <laughs> I have a different perspective, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll comment on that after you, Marco. Yeah, well, we're wrapping uh, this quick conversation anyway, and and my my note is, let's see what next layer is gonna come up next time that we talk, <laughs> because <laughs> I feel like it's gonna pile up one on top of the other, but. Uh, we are limited time here, and Sean, I'm going to let you close with your comment. Right. But Andrea, right. I'm sure we'll get this conversation going more and more. Yes. <laughs> Sounds good. And and I'm not in disagreement with anything here. What I'm what I'm going to say is that in the theme of resilience, we're stronger together. And what I'm what I'm going to suggest is rather than looking at this from them versus us and one versus and suppliers, how do we? as a supply chain that goes to your, your point andrea what's get some visibility into that chain and then build a build a plan that says together as that chain here's how we're going to work together and of course that chain crosses in other yep. places so hopefully then the bigger picture will start yes. to form as well no i 100 percent agree the collective security i'm a yep. big proponent of and it's both within your partners and then across countries um absolutely stronger together that's the only way we're gonna be able to you know tackle this big challenge love it and that's how we're going to end this. Stronger exactly. together. Stronger together. <laughs> so thank you very much, Andrea. Uh, pleasure to have you on the show again. And uh, pleased to have you uh, join us for this episode. And everybody listening, stay tuned for more uh, Redefining Security here on ITSB Magazine. Thank you. Key Resources has the software and services to help you manage mainframe vulnerabilities. Our mission is to guarantee a return on our clients' security investments by minimizing their exposure to data and security risks. Learn more at krisecurity.com. EdgeScan offers continuous vulnerability intelligence as a service, accurately identifying vulnerabilities and exposures across the full stack. All threats are verified by cybersecurity experts, providing exploitable risk and remediation guidance virtually false positive free. Learn more at edgescan.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Security Podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community 
at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP mag 24.